A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, what's going on, Spice Lords? This is Sean Evans, and welcome back to another edition of our classic interview series, where we open up the vaults of Hot Ones history and bring you some of our best hot sauce-fueled interviews in their full, uncut glory. This week, we celebrate Henry Rollins. Is Henry Rollins the most interesting man in the world? I think so. He's a dream to interview because he's so intense and well-read and articulate. There is way too much wisdom to fit into a 22-minute episode, so here you go, full, uncut, unreleased Henry Rollins from start to finish. Enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everybody? For First We Feast, I'm Sean Evans. It's the show with hot questions and even hotter wings. And today I'm joined by Henry Rollins. He's a punk rock icon, radio host, columnist, and all-around renaissance man. But can he handle the wings of death? We'll find out today, Henry. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you with hot food? I don't eat it. You don't? You're not a spicy food Because I, I can't handle it. <laughs> okay. So I'm not a hot food person at all. Well, with that said, are you ready to get it going? No, so let's no, go. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this first one is Valentina Black Label. Should be a free throw for even a guy who's not a hot food guy like you, Okay. Henry. Something you can handle? Yeah, yeah so far. Um, I just keep thinking, I don't eat wings because of the wings in the usual wings environment. I'm expecting a college-age girl with a baseball cap on sideways with black makeup under her eyes mm-hmm. to come up and go, so you guys want some wings with your wings as sports games are on huge screens. Yes. And maybe like a bucket with like four beers in it or something right. like that. Or we're at an airport and everyone's drunk and eating wings about to go to O'Hare. <laughs> exactly. Going to Chicago. Right. Or a bunch of chickens coming, going, what are you doing to me? <laughs> what do you think of the wing? It was good. You like that one? Sure. We're making you into a wing guy, Henry. Yeah. I'll be your wingman. <laughs> there you go. So it seems like when people are looking for travel inspiration, maybe they'll Google best beaches. But mm. with you, it seems like you look at the front page of the newspaper, figure out which country is most fucked up at the time, and then you <laughs> head there. Yeah. Sometimes. So yeah. I want to hit you with a quick wing one sort of globe-trotting rapid fire, if you'll humor me, okay? In your travels, when were you most scared for your life? Uh, in America. Really? Yeah, in California specifically. Uh, California is the place where I've nearly died a couple of times. Like, you know, really unfun stories of, like, real, real near death. The rest of the time, besides uh, I was a time I was in Baghdad in a mortar Two mortars landed 
near a building I was in, which was fortified. I was in no danger. Uh, the concussion was such that it literally felt like a fist, a ghost punch going into your solar plexus. It was the concussion. It was incredibly powerful. Past that, I've never had to run for my life in any country. However, on the streets of Cairo, if you leave the hotel neighborhood and kind of go into the, the neighborhoods, you'll get some intense stares. And I've been there a few times, and every single time I've gotten that, that <coughs> I'm not faring very well <laughs> on, on wing one. I'm kind of like wanting to go home. Not because of you. Because of the wings. Because the wings. The wings will scare you out, but I think it'll bring you back in, too. Which country made you most hopeful for the future of civilization? Wow, that's a great question. Hmm. I was in Sudan right before it became South Sudan, which is now sadly in the state of real chaos. Um, I was there with an NGO called Drop in the Bucket, who I work with. They drill water wells at schools in northern Uganda and what is now South Sudan. Because when the kids get water, they stay in school. The literacy rates shoot up. And so <clears throat> the times I was there, I'm hanging out with kids who are, you know, I, I brought pens. Whenever I go to Africa, I always bring boxes of pens. Just hand out pens to kids, like keep them writing. And so I'm handing out pens to kids and I'm hanging out and I'm running around with kids at schools and they're about to get water right on the premises, which is a big deal. They're not bringing it in a bucket to school. And you see these kids uh, so happy that they're gonna get their literacy because they're gonna have water. And that was hopeful. Um, juxtapose where the next day you hang out with a bunch of kids who are abducted by the Lord's Resistance Army who were made to commit atrocities and these kids were uh, you know post-traumatic stress you know with a vengeance and so um, that was a uh, there were moments also in Iran uh, walking the streets of Tehran and having people stop me with perfect English like, why are you here? Where are you from? I'm from America. Wow, you're here alone? Yeah, why? So I've always wanted to come to Iran. Thank you for coming here. Please don't kill us. Where you see that they want the future. I go, what about your government? They're like, yeah, what about your government? Like, yeah, I know. Where all of a sudden you have things in common. And so I have found in a lot of my travels, a lot of hopefulness, where you find a lot of people are... Um, they want what you want, you know, clean water, a day without conflict, uh, basically a fistful of 50s and a day without fear, as they say. Where have you eaten the best food? Wow, all over the world. Uh, best Indian food I've ever had in my many trips to India would be in Rajasthan, uh, near the Pakistan border. Best doll I've ever had. You have to go across the Thar Desert. I did it by train. Uh, great uh, Thai food in Thailand is really amazing. Uh, ate horse in Kazakhstan. Can't, uh, can't recommend can't it. Recommend it. Uh, uh, interesting food in different parts of Africa, like meat. What am I eating? Meat. What's it from? Just, just eat it. Keep smiling. Um, I've had good food kind of sort of everywhere. And even here, maybe even. We'll oh, see. absolutely. Yeah. The wings. Yeah. All right. So then this next one is Louisiana. Okay. That's all you're going to give me? Just Louisiana? It's from Louisiana, and I think that you'll like this one, Henry. It's maybe even a little less intense than the last one. Good. So you're like a Wings veteran. You sit across from some sweating guest, mm -hmm. some white belt, hot food person. Right. But you're like Bruce Lee, 
in Enter the Dragon. You're like this up and you're, you're like slapping these bottles around. Just, yeah, it's Neo and the Matrix you, grabbing you, bullets. Yeah, you're at home. It's like, go ahead, go ahead, do your worst. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the only fight I can win is with wings, Henry. All right. Otherwise, life has you flummoxed. <laughs> For real. That was good. So you're obviously in phenomenal shape, and I know that you credit strength training as helping build your sense of self-worth as mm. a teenager, but I know that no one can spend as much time in the weight room as you've spent in the weight room without picking up some gym pet peeves along the way. What are the gym shenanigans that bother you the most? People who talk on their cell phone. People who sit on a piece of equipment that you want to use, but they're not moving because right. they're texting or on their cell phone. The cell phone has changed so many normal things. Like the gym to me is a bit of a, it's a temple. If you're going to listen to music, put your headphones in. Don't, don't put your personal player next to the thing. So I have to listen to your usual appalling taste in music. Uh, people who talk to someone else near you, like someone's on a treadmill and they have their elbow on something that's not moving. And they're like, yeah, so and then I said, I'm like, really? I'm trying to focus here because I'm going to be on this damn thing for an hour and my body wants to go home right now and I still have 55 minutes to go. So why don't you shut up? <laughs> and, and so basically uh, not being able to get a sense of concentration or rhythm going because people are using this as like the hangout hour as if they're going to get in shape by looking at the equipment. Right. You actually have to apply yourself. It's true. Yeah. Have, have you ever done any of these cult-like newfangled workouts like SoulCycle or CrossFit? No, anything that involves w uh, being with other people. Not I, for I, I, Not I for No, I'm a, I'm a very solitary person. I go into a gym uh, with my water and my bucket of wings, and I just, you know. <laughs> During your physical prime, what was your max squat? Uh, squat was my favorite because it's the, it's the scariest. Because once you've committed to the bar and you step away from the hooks. Whatever like, happens is. You either own it or it owns you. Mm -hmm. And you can have, as you're going down to hit the bottom before you come up, your mind is going, can I do this? If you're really trying to push yourself. And so I was in the, I was in the 500s comfortably. Uh, and if you look at my bone, my bones and the way I'm built, th that's a hell of a thing because I'm just not built to lift heavy weight. Very impressive. So it was, you know, a lot of attitude. And sometimes I'd work myself up into a state where I was almost in tears because I'd do like the last set of five at some like, so, so I shouldn't have done. I paid later. My back is all screwed up. But... I would get the last set, and I'd be, I would just hyperventilate, like, and I'd be just, I, I would tear up more than once. It's like, oh, my God, this is going to, I'm so scared of, like, having this thing break me. And you'd get under it with, like, fearing, like, you're going to drown. You psych yourself into this thing, and then you hit it, and all of a sudden, you're walking it back into the hook. You're like, wow, I just did that. And so I would be belted, knees wrapped, wrists wrapped. I, I took all that very seriously. Uh, so that, the squat to me was the most, uh, I would come back from band practice when I was living in New York. That's when I was at my peak in my 30s. I'd come back from band practice. I'd take a nap for like two hours, sleep, get up at like 9 p.m. and go in just to do the leg workout. And it was like the scariest workout of the week. I love it. Yeah. I love it, Henry. All right, are you ready to move on? Yeah. So this next one is the secret aardvark. Uh, it's out of Portland. I've never seen any aardvarks up there. So they're staying out of They're the way. secret. Ah, yeah. They hide in the shadows. Good. So you get these people into your 
into your room and my little world and here. you ply them with food and you, you hope they're going to tell you their secrets. That's the whole mission. That's All the right. mission statement. So the internet seems especially fascinated with Henry Rollins' quotes, and I think it's the intensity of your worldview that people find appealing. So what I want to do is give you some other quotes from other no-fucks-given icons, and I just wonder how they hit your ear. Okay. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. I just want to hear your reaction. Does okay. that sound good? Yeah. All right. Friends come and go, but banners hang forever. That's from Kobe Bryant. I don't know what that means. It means that... <laughs> Friends, they come and go. Yeah, but I got winning that part. the championship. Oh, that's I what see. Lasts well, sure, because you'll always be a champion, I guess. Boy, what a deep and pithy thing for someone to say. By God, I'm going to get a chisel and whack that into my forearm as soon as I get back <laughs> to the parking garage. Do you think it's all a little sociopathic, or what do you think? I, I think Kobe Bryant was a tremendous athlete, and I think to play sports on that level, it just must be like this, a beyond anything I can comprehend obsession to be a champion in such an amazing sport. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't play any sports. I'm a, uh, the doctor said to my mom, Iris, your son, he had to look it up. He is a spastic. <laughs> it's, it, that's, that's the Latin. Uh, so I'm not good at anything. So when I watch these, these uh, gazelle-like men and women just run tirelessly doing these amazing, I'm amazed. And to be a champion in that sport... I think you get to say anything you want. Because uh, so many of those people, they go in and all they get is paid. They never get to be champion. They just right. get to play and they do like their 15 seasons and then they go home. Uh, yeah, Kobe Bryant. I liked that Kobe asked Flea to do the national anthem for his last game. Yes. And he played this amazing uh, so, bass solo version of the national anthem. And the audience was like, what's this? And they freaked out. And I was listening to him. God, this is beautiful. And he got angry letters and you know, outbursts on social media. And I wrote him right after. I said, damn, man, that was beautiful. Such a great musician. And people gave him uh, flack for that. Too bad, too bad. But real recognize, real Henry. I got a couple more for you. Never apologize and never explain. It's a sign of weakness. That's from John Wayne. I was about to say, I thought this sounds like from Gene Simmons. Uh, oh, I, I, I think, I believe in apologizing and explaining. I, I, I've apologized. Uh, if I offend someone with something I say, it depends on how I offend them. Like, get out of my country, libtard. Oh, I offended that guy? <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> I have you know, no problem, but when someone says, what you said hurt me, and I, 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 that's when I stop and go, well, wait a minute, because I'm not in that business. I don't, want, I don't want to be in that business, and that's when I look at what I said, and I'm like, wow, okay, I, I owe that person an apology, and I'll run to go over there and do that. Um, an ex explanation, I think things deserve an explanation, uh, but you know, not, not to John Wayne, I guess. All right, I have two more for you. A man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. That's from Muhammad Ali. I love that. I don't think about things the same way as I do when I was 20. I'd like to think that um, I have pulled my head out of that dark place a little bit. And I'm perhaps more patient and less judgmental as a man who's pushing 60. I'll be closer to 60 walking out of this with this chow. Um, I, I uh, you know, he was always the... the my, my hero. 
And that, that's the hand I would have gone over hot coals to shake. I always admired Muhammad Ali. I'll never forget, um, I was this in the 1850s when I was young. Um, I was on a public bus in Washington, D.C., and I was going home from school, and I hear a guy in the back of the bus. There are two men standing, because uh, their seats were gone. And uh, he says, Muhammad Ali. And a guy gets in his face. He goes, you mean Clay? You mean Clay? It was right when he changed his name. And one guy refused to let him be Muhammad Ali. You know, he's Cassius Clay. And, he go, and this guy goes, no, his name is Muhammad Ali. You mean Clay? And, and it was this confrontational thing. And, I, and everyone on the bus kind of went, whoa, what's going on? Because the guy who kept yelling Clay was really mad. You know, and I was like, wow, this is, this is America changing. And I was like young, like sixth, seventh grade, whatever. And I remember it distinctly because the guys kept saying, yelling Clay, right in the guy's face. And so I, I, I always admired Ali in the ring because he's an amazing athlete. But it's the stuff when he was speaking on the steps of a university, on a talk show, bringing truth to power, what could have put a bullet through his head when he was saying those things. I can't think of a braver person in my country in my lifetime. I have one more for you, Henry, and that was well said. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. That's from Kanye West. It reminds me of what the mooch said about Bannon. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> Proceed, host. <laughs> All right, Henry, are you ready to move on? Yeah. So this one is the Queen Majesty. Okay. Out of New York. Hmm. I can't remember the last time I had a wing. I didn't think they had that much meat on them. I mean, these are not your mom's chickens, right? <laughs> like these, no. These chicken <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, yeah. This is uh, test tube wings over here. Yeah. They're not chicken wings, are they? They're not. They're baby lambs. <laughs> we don't really know. The, le the less I know, the better. You know, doing this week in and week yep, out. Yep. All right, so here at First We Feast, we're obsessed with our guests' food obsession, so I have to ask you about yours. What can you tell me about old Dutch white oh, cheddar popcorn? Because I can tell you one thing. you describe it, it sounds like crack in a bag. I can tell you one thing, and I take it personally. There's two, there were uh, two places that made it, the Midwest of our beautiful America and Canada. Same brand, different ingredients in the cheese flavoring. The Canadian version was better. The bag was bigger. Yes, it cost a little more, but you got more. So you can say, I'm having a bag of popcorn. Yes, it looked like a damn pillowcase. It took you a day and a half to get through it. You just go in your room and like eat your damn popcorn and like, you know, the world leaves you alone. Uh, they, the, the Canadians stopped making it. And so I was in Canada months ago and we we're searching every store and coming up with nothing. The promoters in Canada know that I like this stuff because I've been banging on about it for about 20 years. They actually called Old Dutch, the company, and said, so what? And they looked on their catalog numbers. They go, we've discontinued it up here. They said, we've got a very angry American up here. And, and the guy said, aren't they all angry? <laughs> anyway, uh, you can get it in the Midwest where you can mail order it for, at, at exorbitant UPS charges where it turns into like 8 or $10 a bag. And there's many nights I've sat there sweating in my bed, the plastic sheets, you know. Um, Looking at the mail order website, one mail order website, I'm not going to give them free advertising because of the UPS charge. Um, and and I, I almost put my finger and, and order, but I just can't justify like the, the $7.50 bag of popcorn. Oh, no. Can't do it. 
So then what do you do now? Do you go with like the smart food white cheddar popcorn? There's no, a... sir. Oh, no, sir. Uh, when I have my tour bus, uh, my Bon Jovi mobile, when we are in the American Midwest, every single day, we go to local grocery stores and Walmarts and we get every bag we can. And we come back to California with literally massive t-shirt boxes full of popcorn. We're talking like 40 some bags, which I can get through before the Christmas break is over. Wow. Don't call him. He's eaten. <laughs> and so that's how Christmas break is for me. Cheese popcorn. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. Are you ready to move on, Henry? Yeah. All right. So this one is the hot one sauce. You're oh. on the hot one show. Okay. You do the math there. This yeah. is our sauce. Are they sponsoring? Like this. Is this your your mix? Mm-hmm. So like, let's talk about you for a minute. Besides the classy it, watch. Did <laughs> <laughs> Ivanka sell you that one? Um, <laughs> are you a, a, a in this business? Are you a, a grill person? A barbecue person? So a hot person? I know there's people. There's pepper eating contests. Yep, there's conventions. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's like uh, quite the the industry for all of this. So you know, I really started out as just wanting to do an interview show. Hot sauce was not really part of my life. Barbecue is not really part of my life. It's male prostitution. Yep. And then in the late '80s. Right. And then, and then grew for all of us, show. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've all been there. So then uh, what ends up happening, though, is you end up with this show, the hot sauce thing. It kind of started as a gag at first, but then it blew up, and then it got kind of popular. Right. And then you start programming it all out. And then before you know it, you're 100 episodes in, four wow. seasons, and you're just chew- choking down wings and stuff. So that's kind of you know, the, the origin story. The, the hot sauce industry yep. is almost like microbreweries. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these cool labels and they're taking risks, mega death. I mean, that's cool. And so, like, you know, the beers, yeah. like, you know, Uncle, you know, whatever head crooked bastard beer or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it looks like this is happening here. No, there's a whole bizarre subculture to hot sauce that I've been introduced to by virtue of doing right. this show. It's and, like, there's, because, like, food networks and all of that, and foodies and food tours, mm-hmm. food has become quite a thing. It really is, yeah. It's interesting. Some of the countries I go to where your next meal, if you're local, is not an absolute. Right. You know, where it's like, I hope my bowl gets filled with rice today, mm-hmm. but I can't guarantee it. When you see people going on food tours or like, you know, the, the 80 million hot dogs, it, 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 I can understand going on a tour of good food or going to a restaurant you like, but when you see that, that kind of pro-gluttony, I'm going to eat so much, I'm going to explode. I'm like, damn, man. Because I've been to places where people will eat your vomit. Right. Because they're so damn hungry. It seems excessive to you. No, no, not this. Yeah, yeah. Just just the general, like, Yeah, but just the foodiness. You know, just that that kind of thing. Because it's just so A luxury for it to be a hobby, you know? Yeah, just um, when you do a lot of travel, when you come back to Los Angeles and you go into your well-stocked supermarket and the food is falling out and we are on treadmills trying to get it off us, it's incredible. All right, Henry, so we have a recurring segment on our show called Explain That Gram. We do a deep dive on our guest's Instagram and pull interesting pictures. But with you, Henry, we've done a little bit of a twist. We've pulled some great Henry Rollins throwbacks. So what I'll do is I'll show you the picture, and then you can tell me if there's a story it reminds you of, what was going on in your life or career at the time. Does that sound good? Yeah, so this is like where you lead the dog back to where it soiled the carpet, and you go, (laughs) was that you? Yes, that's what's (laughs) happening. We're, We're digging it all up. You're, you're trapped on this show, Henry. We're digging it all up. All right. First things first. 
best dressed guy at the 37th annual oh, Grammy yeah. Awards. That's 22 years ago. Here's my uh, explanation. Um, I was performing that night, and so they bring you into the Shrine Auditorium. It was small when I was on it. And you do the song like 50 million times. You come in days before, and the day of, you perform because of the camera angles. They're just rehearsing the camera because it's live. And so I was rehearsing all morning, and then they said, oh, we're having the non-televised Grammys over here and I was up for one. I was up for two Grammys at, at that particular Grammy. And so I ran over with my performer's laminate and my sh clothes. I could just get sweated out because I did the actual show that night in an, a rented Armani tux. And I ran over, not expecting to win the Grammy. And they said, and the Grammy for best spoke of whatever uh, uh, book on tape or whatever it is goes to Henry Rollins. And I'm like, here I go. So I go running at the stage. And security, they don't, no one knows who I am. So I go walking, running up to the stage. And it was like, do we let him up here? And these guys kind of went like, do I, do I arm bar him? And they went, go up, go on. And so I ran up there. And they have one that's blank, so you can just hold it up. And everyone's like, look, who is this guy? And right. the few who recognized me, I thought he'd be taller. And so I'm holding up the Grammy. I said, it must be really strange for people who look like you to be looking at a guy who looks like me holding something like this. And everyone kind of went, yeah. And I said, thanks. And I put it down and, and they led me away. And I did the entire press thing you do looking like that. I love it. Iconic. Yeah. All right, a couple a more horse's for you. ass I was. <laughs> but look at that hair. Great hair. Dark, and you still got it. Luxurious. And you still got it, Henry. I'm, I'm so glad. All right, a couple more for you. You and Ozzy backstage, oh. January 1996. Yeah, 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 yeah. I told my bandmates, I said, if you, when we're on stage opening for Ozzy, if you see a red dot on your shirt, that's a sniper, because they only want to see Ozzy. They don't want to <laughs> see any opening band. So if you, I want you to finish the show. So run in an invasive zigzag pattern. Avoid the dot, but keep playing. If these one-toothed Aussie fans come over the barricade with axes, brick bats, or mobile meth labs, run, 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 but keep playing as long as you can until the cord gets disengaged from your gear. Actually, Aussie's audience was very, very nice to us. For 45 minutes between songs, all I hear is, I'm like, damn, we're like Queen at Wembley. And then Aussie goes on two hours later or so, and you hear, and you realize, is the sound of 19,000 people all going like, how, how many more minutes? Who's a Rollins band? Like, this sucks, I know. And that's, and that was the start of my friendship with Ozzy Osbourne, who's one of my favorite human beings in the world. He's one of the nicest, most honest people I've ever met. He's such not a letdown. So I've been a fan of his since I was like 12 or 13. And he's just, a, he's just one of my favorite people. Well said, Henry. All right, a couple more for you. I flew on the private jet that night. You did? I drank a Diet Pepsi with Ozzy, and he told me the story of how they wrote Paranoid in the studio. Yeah. Oh, we didn't have enough songs about it. That's great. Here you are. Is this Kyrgyzstan for USO? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I did seven USO tours. First ever USO performer in Egypt. Uh, I was in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, South Korea, Japan, Okinawa, uh, Djibouti, uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Honduras, uh, Japan, uh, maybe a couple, uh, Qatar, uh, um, 
Bahrain, and maybe some others. And uh, so I did seven USO tours over a few years, and uh, I don't know how many visits to uh, Walter Reed and Bethesda Naval Hospital on the East Coast visiting uh, injured men. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we must have been, uh, that would be Kyrgyzstan, if, that's, if we're on base, that would be the Gansi Air Base which in Bishkek, which is now gone. Uh, the, the lease came up and they moved the base. How did, it, uh, how did it affect you? How did it change your perspective? To get an inside, kind of an inside look at things, the thing that I noted most, uh, especially in, in uh, Baghdad, was the, the corporate presence in the Iraq war and the waste. Like tons of food just sitting there. Like it's covered in flies. You're going to eat that? Like, nope, we're going to throw it out. Like that's a lot of food. Just going to throw it out. Uh, massive, massive, these tents that you, know, you can tee off in and the ball won't hit anything uh, with fierce air conditioning. Like you get cold in there. And meanwhile, you can fry an egg outside. No one's in it, but it's just cranking all day. Uh, gasoline powered generators. You're like, you could power the American Midwest with this energy. And everything's just on, blowing lights on, everything on. And you realize, I'm paying for this. Meanwhile, there's these amazing men and women, uh, soldiers, uh, contractors, like personnel, like a lot of people, in this uh, completely sci-fi, unbelievable and unbelievably dangerous environment. So it was surreal. Because a week later from that, you're in your car on Sunset Boulevard with the dust of that still in your shoes going like, did that just happen? I mean, like, it was kind of surreal. Like sitting in uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, room and going to his bedroom and like a week later going to the supermarket here, you just can't believe the vicissitudes and changes of your life. You can't believe you share a planet with some of those places, yeah. One more for you, Henry. Yeah, Santa Monica Civic. 1983, I think, I learned a powerful lesson at that show. Uh, don't go too close to the audience. I leaned down and immediately my hair was grabbed. People wanted a piece. And I realized when there's like 3,500 people, it's different than when there's like 300 people. We're like, you know, yay, they poke you in the eye. Um, with that many people, people just get nutty. And I, I, that looks like the Civic. Um, either the Civic or the Palladium, but with that many people, when you get up close, kind of the thing changes. And like my face was grabbed and my hair was grabbed and I was like being held because of my hair and people just ripping it out. Like they don't even know what they're doing. And so I kind of learned a lesson about crowd mentalities and how when there's a lot of people, one person will do something stupid and then all of a sudden everyone's doing something, that stupid thing and no one knows why they did it. And no one remembers what they did. Like, like, why'd you tear that T-shirt off that person? I don't know, man, because, and you see that crowds are like schools of fish. There's one and then everyone kind of goes. Mob mentality. Yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen riots. I was in a, an interesting one in Pakistan years ago where you see one guy get agitated and everyone kind of, he becomes like the, the focus point and everyone picked up their sticks and it was fascinating, kind of terrifying. But um, yeah, that looks like either the Civic or the Palladium. I've seen that photo before. All right, fascinating stuff, Henry. Thus concludes Explain That Throwback. Are you ready to move on? Yeah. So this one is Dirty Dicks. It's a very aggressive brand name. Dirty what? Dirty Dicks. So this one has a little bit of a kick, Henry. Mm. I'll see. <laughs> it's good. You, you enjoy it? Yeah. You're very prolific in your own right, but outside of that, you're also an insatiable reader, a listener, a consumer. So here's what I want to know. 
If you had to recommend one album, one film, and one book for the national curriculum, what would they be? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, one book. I would recommend uh, The Fiery Trial by Eric Foner, F-O-N-E-R. It's a, a book about Lincoln's conflicts and his evolution of his thinking about slavery and emancipation and politics during the Civil War. And Eric Foner is an amazing historian. I think the Civil War is his wheelhouse. And um, The Fiery Trial, which I think is a quote from one of uh, Mr. Lincoln's speeches, it's just the best book I've ever read on Lincoln, and it's just an amazing read. Besides the Lincoln book, I would recommend Michelle Alexander's book, uh, The New Jim Crow. And I read it right when it came out because a, a talk show host that I used to listen to recommended it every day. And it sounded like something I should read. So I, I got a copy and then I watched her speak uh, a couple of years ago uh, here in Southern California and she was amazing. And so uh, it basically just explains how we got to where we are with racial tension and, and disparity, everything from disparity in pay, how law enforcement seems to incarcerate a lot of non-white people quicker, easier, more than and white people, etc. And she's uh, just so brilliantly concise. So I, I'd, I'd love to see either of those books, both of those books in the public school system, or just kind of uh, with solar panels built into every new home, those books should be sitting there uh, in every, every new home built. I just think it's great reading to become a better American, which I think is, uh, should be you know, part of your day, you know, in a way. <laughs> Right. Trying to learn more about where you're, where you're coming from so you can lead it better going forward. Mm -hmm. And so, the, a record. Uh, I think a record that should be uh, given to everyone upon birth. I would, I would uh, give America Raw Power uh, by the Stooges. Um, my second favorite Stooges album, the first would be my, my favorite album in the whole world is Funhouse, the Stooges' second album. But the third album, I think, is America's greatest contribution to the hard rock uh, if we have a hat to throw in the hard rock ring up against the Stones and Zeppelin and Deep Purple, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it would be raw power by the Stooges. That's where America says, we got game. It's raw power. And then one film. Apocalypse Now. Because uh, it's quotable and it's so much about war that it's not about war. It's about insanity and the insanity of war and the politics that we're by the time you get deep in, it's not about war anymore. And everyone's like, really? This is just nuts. We should all go home. And I think uh, we should reach those decisions sooner. Like before we went into Iraq, we should have gone into the future and went, this won't end well. Screw it. Let's get some wings. <laughs> and, and so that's why I think Apocalypse Now is, it's, you know, Coppola is amazing anyway, but that's just one of his finest moments. Well said. Henry, are you ready to move on? Yeah. So this one is the zombie apocalypse. We're starting to really kind of crank it up here. Uh-huh. You came in here doubting yourself a little bit, Henry. Oh, uh, yeah. I feel like you're really getting on top of it. Well, I don't know. It's just, I like free food. <laughs> you ever been to like those premieres where they have all this food and California's don't eat, right? Because they have to be like all skinny. Yeah. And there'll be like 900 of those like shrimp burrito, like eat at things. You'll load up. Man, I'll stand there with the, the catering crew talking to them as I'm shoveling food. And like, I look like I got like four pillowcases of undigested food inside my stomach. I walk out like a leopard with like half an Impala in its gut. And too, you're kind of a free food hack legend because you used to go to Carl's Jr. and just load it up on the tray. I learned right? that from a Black Flag roadie. 
who is now apparently a tech multimillionaire, wow. uh, an IT guy. Um, you buy the salad. In those days, it was 88 cents. Uh, Reagan era. Good times. Anyway, you just get your salad plate and you just chuck it and you take the actual tray and you just put the tray down and you put the salad onto the tray Smart. and you just build this Smart. massive thing of food and you just go ah, and eat it because it's like the only food you're going to see for like the next 16 hours. Mm-hmm. And that's how we used to eat sometimes in the Black Flag days. So smart. Or you go in, you'd always find the table. Uh, the family eating because kids never finish their meal and they're coughing all over their food. It's disgusting. But they always get up and leave. And I learned from one of the members of the band, you immediately descend upon the table before the waiters clear the plates and you just eat all the kids' food. And we get thrown out of restaurants, me and this guy in the band, because we'd be eating like the congealed beans and rice off some kid's plate. Because we're just like, ah, because we're hungry. And yeah. they're like, yeah, and people are like, you can't be eating off other people's plates. I like your band, but you gotta get out of here, man. <laughs> And so that's, I got used to eating, you know, things that don't agree with you later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I used to bathe in a fountain down the street from here. Really? Yeah. You, you clear away the pond scum and the cigarette butts and you dip your head in, you, you know, and you'll you know, get a... And you're fresh in your back. Fresh enough. <laughs> so vintage tour t-shirts have become one of the more yeah. prevailing fashion trends in recent years. Super expensive. And I'm not sure if irony is the right word, but bands like Nirvana and the Ramones and Black Flag really seem sort of the celebrity red carpet go-tos. And I wonder what you think when you see Barney's, for example, uh, releasing a Black Flag shirt made of Japanese cashmere cotton with a $265 price point. Is that validating? Do you roll your eyes? How do you unpackage that sort of thing? Is it a mindfuck? To me, it's what society does eventually if something in black flag was basically a corporate logo you know pepsi ibm the black flag logo which was we tried to do and we would send the promoters here's the logo here's the lettering use this the logo the logo the logo and so we were just trying to make that where you could see it in the dark and if you do that long enough it's not yours anymore. It becomes a folk tale. It becomes, it belongs to the, the, the Macy's of the world. And eventually, someone will put it on the back of a, a $5,000 motorcycle jacket. And it's just uh, social absorption. And so to me, it's not ironic because everything else is eventually uploaded where people took the Coca-Cola logo and made it cocaine or any other, oh, that's the Coke logo made into a thing. You knew it because you grew up with it. Or you can do things with the McDonald's arches. People do that all the time with normalized logos. You can repurpose it for your bands and like, oh, you're, oh you made a blue note jazz cover with your cover because I recognize the lettering. So eventually, even Black Flag and Nirvana and all of these things become not exactly corporatized, but they become part of the speak. They become part of the lexicon of what's in the kind of the, our social id. And almost anything that stands around long enough gets absorbed. Very smart. All right, are you ready to move on, Henry? Yeah. So this one is the bomb beyond insanity. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, it's a bomb. Mm-hmm. Good. You enjoy that one. Well, it's so hot that you can't really taste any flavor. Mm-hmm. Your, your taste buds just feel like they uh, went, got through a sleeping bag session with Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> you know, you're like, ah, what was that? You know, yeah. I've been assaulted. Really light you up. Yeah. Look at you getting a little, are you okay? 
I mean, listen, I'm no superhero, Henry. I've done this a lot, right. but like, you know, whatever. I'm human. These yeah. hot sauces, they affect me. I'm glad, you know, that we, you and I can hit that human note. It's a shared struggle. Yeah. Together, the mm -hmm. two of us. Yeah. So you've lived an interesting life in the spotlight, lots of acquaintances, but the one that we're interested here at Hot Ones is RuPaul. Uh -huh. Because whenever I see you guys doing work together, it seems like you go way back. How did you meet and how would you describe your relationship? I met RuPaul at band practice, 1995 or six. I went into a place called Context Rehearsal. I'm sure it's gone now. It's a nice brownstone in the Lower East Side and it's probably condos now. Anyway. I'm in the front lounge waiting for my bandmates to come in uh, for a noon band practice, and there's this tall, handsome man in a cool outfit sitting there, and I nod at him, he nods at me, and I go back to waiting for my bandmates. And the man gets up, he's very tall, and he walks over, he goes like, Henry Rollins, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I'm RuPaul. And I'm only used to seeing him in the, you know, the full fighting gear. Right. And so it took me a minute, and I'm like, because he's tall and I'm short. And I look up, and I, the, the tail is the cheekbones. You're like, you are RuPaul. And I, I shook his hand, and I, I said, man, I'm a big fan of yours. I really like the way you carry yourself. And, and uh, he said, yeah, mutual. And, and we uh, started talking. And sometimes you meet people, and you just like them immediately. You're just like, wow, I, this is a cool person. That's how I felt about RuPaul. Smart, funny. I like what he's done for American culture, and maybe... I'm tying too long a tail on the RuPaul kite, but I think RuPaul has helped change some people's ideas about LGBT in this country and, and cross-dressing and trans. He's let a lot of people kind of lower their, their fear wall and kind of go, oh, there's nothing, there's no problem with this, we can all get along. And I think he might have saved some lives by being so right out there, letting a lot of people who feel afraid to be who they are, they look at him and go like, wow, if he can, maybe I can too. And so maybe he saved a few young people who would have self-harmed because they look at RuPaul, who's really, you know, stepping up to it. And so I think there's a lot to like about him. And so that was 20-some years ago. And I see RuPaul now and then, and it's always great because I'm such an admirer of him on so many levels. I just I like what he does. Mm -hmm. I like that he carved out, in a way, he's the classic American. You know, he innovated, he came up, he thought out of the box, he did this thing, and now not only is he getting paid for it, the guy is famous all over the world, and I don't, can't say I know him like where he comes and goes every day, but I think he's having a very interesting life that he invented for himself. He didn't, his parents, you know, he, he doesn't come from a long line of drag queens. <laughs> He just, um, I think he's uh, from California, mm -hmm. and he's just an interesting guy. And so uh, he and I were on the cover of a fanzine together in 1985, and I reminded him of that when I met him, because I still have it. Uh, we shared, uh, he's the top, his Neighborhood Threat was the name of an Iggy Pop song, but it's also the name of this, um, of this fanzine. And he was on the top with all this weird war paint on, holding like a torch or something, and I'm looking like, Ugh like I'm on Thorazine or something, and at the top it said, uh, RuPaul's sex freak, Henry Rollins' hex creep. And I reminded him, he goes, oh yeah, I remember that. And that's the first time I ever heard of RuPaul was 1985. And then years later we became pals. Just a great guy. So this one is Blair's Mega Death Sauce with Liquid Rage. Whew. Wow. Okay, now this is, I can taste the oil, because mm -hmm. like the first second of it, you taste nothing, which means it's like, it's coming. <laughs> So, 
The phrase punk has become part of the modern lexicon, mm -hmm. but I think that it's kind of strayed away from the scene that you were a part of. You know, everything from entrepreneurs to sports teams will get described as punk rock. Yeah. So what I want to do is bounce some things off of you, and I want to see if they fit the punk mission statement as you see it, or if the two things don't even belong in okay. the same sentence. Also realize that that mission statement, as you say, you ask a hundred people, who have some kind of idea of it, and you'll get probably a hundred different answers. Just like with straight edge, which mm -hmm. means you can't do this, 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 this. But if I do that and that, am I not straight edge? Get out of my house. And so for me, punk rock is just depending on who you ask. So I'm asking you. Okay. So it'll be the mission statement as you see it, Henry. Does that sound good? Yeah. For me, or am I to answer now? Is it, so was that I'll, the, the, I'll give you Oh, I see. So Bernie Sanders. Is Bernie Sanders punk rock? Yes. In the idea... <coughs> Sneaky, of bringing truth to power, of cutting through the red tape and the otherwise, you know, beltway crap, and just saying, we need this. I mean, he wasn't afraid to use the word socialism. And we're like, oh, no, I can't. Like, you, you can't even define it. Why, why are you running away from something you can't even write me one paragraph about? And, and so he was not afraid to say, we've got problems in this. Elections cost too much. And what he was offering Americans was kind of like a cold water flat with no elevator. I mean, cool when you're in university for the summer, but by autumn you want heating in an elevator. It would be a hard lift for Americans who have well over a century of relative comfort. But in the political scheme, you see how kind of on his own he is. And in a way that is very punk rock. What about Airbnb? Can disruptive tech companies be punk rock? Sometimes they're described that way. Uh, when I think of tech companies, I just think ultimately there's so much money somewhere. One of those guys is getting paid a whole lot of money and other people are working for peanuts. So for me, it's more corporate and could never be punk rock. Anarchy, yes. Like upsetting the apple cart and screwing a lot of people ultimately, yeah. But punk rock to me has at its core some altruism and some truth and something that you would aspire to, to be better. And, and so I, those, anything that's too corporate, while I've worked in the corporate world for a long time, I don't fear it, but I know I'm hanging out with crocodiles. I don't turn my back on them, and when they bite me, I'm like, I don't go, ow, how could you? Et tu, croc. You know, it's what they do. Lady Gaga. I think she's amazing. Uh, and in her own way, very punk rock. She writes her own material. Her interviews are really interesting. And uh, I saw this one interview before one of her, like, you know, those 90-minute videos, like $80 million. She, she did this monologue, and she just talks about how much she hates reality. And I'm like, thank you, because that's the job of an artist to me, to take reality, like, reality reality. Life is cubicles, buses, taxes, and death. Let's do something else. Like, here's something that can't happen. So let's write a song about it. And like, you can internalize it and your mind gets bigger. So I think she's the real thing. You hear her sing live, she can actually do it. Uh, and I think she's uh, truly artistic. And when you see the kind of the people around her who are so corporate, they have briefcases welded to their hands. She, to me, is very punk rock. And I, I, I think uh, where if she heard me say that, uh, she'd go, yeah, okay. She wouldn't be offended and she wouldn't not know what I meant. And then I have one more for you. Have you ever heard of Big Baller Brand? No. Okay, so the second overall draft pick in this last NBA draft 
is uh, is Lonzo b- balling is basketball. Yes, yes. Okay. So Lonzo Ball. And he's the second overall pick, and he has a a dad who's very outspoken, a little bit divisive. But what he did is he turned a middle finger to Under Armour, Nike, and Adidas. Didn't sign with any of those endorsement deals, Uh you know, with them. And he started a family-run, expensive basketball shoe brand of his own called Big Baller Brand. So... Let me knowing what you know in that like small context, big baller brand. Uh, it doesn't strike me much as punk rock, just savvy, uh, savvy uh, marketing. There you go. Because he'll probably do okay. Because think of all the middlemen he's cut out. Like if you have a sponsorship by Nike, you're getting probably some in- insanely amazing paycheck. But look at all the stuff you have to put up with, all the promos you have to do. Like you have to eat these four children and hold up this shoe. <laughs> like, I don't want to eat kids. Eat the kids! You know, like, like, here, eat the wings. Like, before, when, when I met you, right over there, yep. you grabbed me by my ear. Yep. Said, you're going to eat the wings, and you're going to smile! And I went, okay, 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 because I'm afraid of getting hit. Right. And, and, and so, um, I think you'd have to put up with so much stuff you don't want to do, or stuff you know your reputation just went, <laughs> died. I think starting your own brand is very DIY. And so... Maybe in a way it's punk rock. I just think it's a way <coughs> for him to maybe uh, do something that surpasses whatever he's going to do in sports. There you go, Henry. All right, Henry. Dun, 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 dun. So this is the last dab. It's a tough one. Okay. And the reason we call it the last dab is because it's tradition around here to put a little extra on the last one. Uh-huh. You don't have to. That's nice. It's, it's not it's, um, a different, it's like got curry in it or something or Something different than the mm-hmm. death one. A little mustard action, some turmeric. Something. You know what I eat like on a weekend? What? I fry up a couple of eggs with canola oil, and I microwave half a bag of brown rice from the uh, a grocery store very near to where we're shooting right now. And I uh, take the <coughs> two eggs, cut them up into strips, throw them into uh, the Pyrex mug that I throw all this stuff into, put a little Love soy it. sauce over it. So it's half a bag of rice, two eggs, a little canola oil, and some soy sauce. And that's like dinner, which I is like so that. lightweight. But it's just, you're just straight uh, utility with that. And it's cheap. Some people say, oh, he's frugal. I'm just cheap. 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 Don't want to spend money. Because uh, in my line of work, they finally figure it out. He's got no talent. Get him out of here. <laughs> and, and so one day it's going to be over. And so I want to have saved some money. You so have to think about your longevity. Eggs, rice, and soy sauce and cups of water. Henry Rollins pro tips. All right, Henry, I have one more question for you. You yeah. know, in seeing your talks and watching your interviews, I think what I find most relatable about you is that you're driven by this fear of inertia. And I actually feel a lot in common with that. You know, sometimes I feel that I'm at my best when I'm in the foxhole by myself, back up against the wall with a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. But I do wonder, you know, it's not so healthy, it's not so balanced. Is there hope for people like us? Or are we just doomed to forever be on that hamster wheel Running in circles. I have found, I'm almost 60. I'm 56, so I got a few more years. I mean, it's not old or young, it's not anything, but it's not 20. And so after many laps around the track in show business, where you meet some people who are less than honest, and it's easy, very easy to get humiliated, uh, you get told no quite a lot, uh, and you have big failures in public where everyone's like, you know, and they get a photo of it, whatever it is. It's, unless you keep some amount of intensity and kind of anger with it, what, whatever that is, where you're like, I'm getting up today and I'm going for it. What are, you, what are you angry at? Bring it on. Whatever is in front of me, I gotta be a little mad at it to get through it. 
like big audition? Am I nervous? No, I'm just mad now. Now I'm mad. Now I want to go in there and like just eat the entire building. I got your audition right here. Uh, at least that's my approach. Probably why I don't get much work. But um, I have never been able to lose that. What I have done to displace some of that ambient rage is work on my skills. And so the sharper the scalpel is, I don't need to hack the forest down. I can just take those two trees down. And so over the years, I, I have perhaps refined my anger. And I don't hate, like I'm not, you know, abusing animals and punching holes in walls. And that's not where it manifests itself. I'm just kind of angry to get up in the morning and get things done. And I don't want to lose too much of that because a lot of the people I admire, uh, when you read interviews with them, they're like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And they go, you know, anger, rage. You're just the kind of raging at the, the rising sun every day. You got to get up and be mad at something. Keeps the blood thin. And I, I, I like a little bit of desperation. I like feeling like I'm slightly cornered because uh, you sign up for this job and stupidly they let you be in their show and now you have to go in there and not screw it up and you're actually working with people who actually do this for a living. Pressure's on, so go deliver. And I'd rather have that than tranquility and like, hey, we have a, a nice job for you and just gonna, you know, just relax. I don't wanna relax because I know myself, uh, I'll just kind of go fallow. So I'd rather have the intensity, the nerves, and the stress that comes with it, and perhaps a shortened lifespan from always being <laughs> inside. Uh, and, and so I'd rather stay kind of somewhat knotted up, uh, kind of always coiled and releasing at some points, but going default is recoiling and getting ready for the next uh, ejaculation. Love that so much, Henry. You came in, you cleared the board, you dominated the wings. I know you doubted yourself, but not anymore. Watch that ball sail. Now there's nothing left to do but give you some plug time. Let the people know what you have going on in your life. Uh, I'm struggling to get work and trying to get by inside the guts of the Hollywood machine. I go up for auditions and I do the thing. Big action, big moments, and I get nothing. I get nothing, nothing. <laughs> and then I, I have to pay double because I have to buy black tablecloths. I'm going to beat my ass to this when I get home. I'm keeping this. All right, Henry, we're going to send you an invoice. We're sending you an invoice. 